You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. What's going on? Welcome to you Thursday. Matt Miguez. Welcome to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Hope you're having a great day. Once again, Matt Miguez here, producer extraordinaire slash co-host with the most, James Mesh. In a much better mood today, now that Marcus Smart and Al Horford are going to play for the Celtics tonight. How you feeling, bud? Feel a little better. I mean, you got to. Just a little bit. You got I'm gonna to. Go, I'm not going to go over the top. The, the squad's back. I have been I have been brought down to earth. I was on about cloud cloud nine. La, uh, after after on Monday, beating the Bucks, but now now I'm at about a cloud two, maybe. Oh maybe god. cloud three. Oh god. I've come. You didn't come fall down. that far, did oh, you? I, I, I fell pretty far. That Jimmy Butler performs. Yeah, I'm in shambles. Oh my god. No, you know who's in shambles? <laughs> Nick Saban's in shambles. <laughs> we'll get into that in a second though. Um So yeah, you know, you your Celtics bouncing back, playing game two tonight. Marcus Smart seems like he's gonna be able to go. They ruled Al Horford as available about an hour ago. So, you know, obviously that's huge how for, from your perspective you know you follow this team day in and day out you've watched them all season long how much of an advantage does having Horford back down low give you guys to try to keep Jimmy Butler out of the paint he brings another defensive presence which you lost a lot of that after not having Smart and Horford last game. You didn't have another guard to guard the guards, and you weren't able to protect the paint as much because you had to play players like Peyton Pritchard, which I love Peyton. I love how he's grown so much already, and it's very seldom you've ever seen him turn it over, but watching game one, it was like, man, wow, this is... This isn't the Peyton I've always seen. Right. It, it felt like he tried to do too much. I'm glad that Marcus Smart is back. That way you don't have to rely on him as much because he's not that guy yet in my eyes. I think he can be. I, can, I think he could be someone like that. But with him being that short and he's not known for his defense, he's more known being an offensive guy, he, he felt like a liability having to play him so much. And just get just getting these guys back feels like there's a chance because you looked at the first half you thought I mean they're they're cruising they're they're doing they're doing great they scored 62 in the first half on the number two or the number three overall defense in the league and then the second half it, it was just a complete 180 it's like they nothing could go in if they wanted it to they couldn't buy a bucket yeah you know. I was just about to say, you say that getting Horford and Smart back, you know, gives you a chance. You guys had it at halftime. 
if it's not for getting outscored by 25 in the third quarter, you probably win game one. Very good chance. Without both of them. Very good chance. You almost were able to steal game one without two of your best players. Now, they won't have Kyle Lowry again. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, but it's it, it feels like this one is a little more obtainable because you never really thought about it until now, but th- the fact that it was such a quick turnaround. I mean, game game seven was Sunday afternoon. And then you come back Tuesday, you only get one day's rest, and then you're playing a whole nother series. You haven't even been able to re reset yourself mentally and actually like take a break for a second. It almost feels like you know that meme where it's where it's like you're going to bed and then as soon as your head hits the pillow, boom, your alarm's going off. Right. That's that's kind of what it feels like. Like it was just like I have no time to Rest and reset and recharge. Well, that's that's the thing about the NBA playoffs. There's 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 no like that, I'm not asking for a week. I'm just saying that they got one day's rest as opposed to the the three days for Miami. So it's like I mean mm. they they got a little more rest. They were able to kind of watch more film because Celtics had to worry about the Bucks before they could worry about the Heat. The Heat were just like, well, I mean we we can watch a little bit of both and just kind of see how it goes out. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Now, for the game last night, the the Mavs and the Warriors game one, right before we, we went to break, right, right before we left for the day yesterday, you you made the comment that Luka was going to score 50. Yeah, I was, I was and, off by about 30. And, and the Mavs were going to win game one. Yeah, I was off by about 26. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, Luka, I, guess he, I guess he just didn't have enough brewskis. Luka going 6 for 18. And twenty points. Twenty points. Um, I've I've got some bad news for you, James. Breaking news: Derek White is out tonight. Yeah, I'd seen that. His he's had, his child's being birthed. Oh, that's a fair reason to be out. Yeah. Okay. Like I was wondering, I'm like, what? What the hell is wrong with Derek White now? No, no. And, okay. and then I, and okay. then we find out. Oh, it's because he's having his. Child. Well, hey, I pulled up. I pulled up the stat sheet, and it was flashing breaking news, and so I didn't know if you'd seen it or not. Yeah, but, they uh, they had put it a part of like throughout the. I think he was a part of yesterday's from 22 hours ago. The injury report they had shown Derek White and it said out, and it was it said for personal reasons. I was like, what personal reasons? Like, what? Right. And then and then someone comments. They're like, it's because he's his wife is having their child and I was like oh okay that you know what that's fair <laughs> take the take the night off right right okay so looking at the the box score from the Mavs Warriors last night you got 20 out of Luka four assists seven boards you got 12 out of Reggie Bullock you got 14 out of Jalen Brunson and then you had 17 from Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench so you had Four guys scoring double figures. Not a bad night. Was it bad? No. Getting four guys to score at least 10. However. Well, actually, well, the lowest was 12. But looking at the three-point shooting? Yeah, that wasn't great. Uh, 11 yeah, for great. 48. 22%. I'll be honest. It's not optimal. Yeah, so that's not great. And then to top to add insult to injury, seven Warriors scoring double figures? Seven of them. Jordan Poole, Otto Porter, 
And then all five starters, Thompson, Curry, Looney, Wiggins, and Draymond. Curry How with 21. Looney, hold on. I'm just now realizing this. How did Looney only get five rebounds? How did Steph, Steph get, get 12? 12? <laughs> Jinx. Whatever. And then Draymond almost had a double-double. He was how, one rebound how away. Does, how does Steph, you know, all six <laughs> foot, foot three. two of them, get 12 rebounds? And two of them were offensive. Like, excuse me? That is that is insane. So you got that game. So now it's one it's one zero in favor of Golden State. They're going to play again tomorrow. I think Dallas bounces back in Game Two to tie the series and take it back to Dallas with them having the momentum. I think you have to do that. Because if you if you go back home down 2-0 and you've got to win both of them to stay alive, you might be in some trouble with with a team like Golden State who has done it in the playoffs time and time again. That would be that would be a difficult task for a one, young team. One of those four you have to steal. Yeah, I I agree I agree with that. Um, today's poll question. God, I love college football. We'll use the sound in the next segment. Yeah, I, I love college football. Here's the poll question. Who are you taking in a fist fight? Is it Nick Saban or is it Jimbo Fisher? If you've lived under a rock, last night at a fundraising event in Birmingham, Nick Saban sat there and said that Alabama finished second in recruiting in the SEC a year ago, which is not a lie. He said Texas A&M finished first. Again, not a lie. But then he goes on this rant saying that Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M bought every player in their class with NIL. And and that might not be a lie either. The pettiness. <laughs> but right, right. It's the pettiness. It's the unnecessariness of it. And so now, you know, you've stirred the pot in the SEC. And so Jimbo goes, okay, you want to say something? I'm going to say something. So Jimbo holds a press conference today and goes way off the rails. I heard the word despicable about 30 times. I heard it's a shame about 15 times and he absolutely belittled Nick Saban to the point to where Nick Saban issued an apology this afternoon the Nick Saban the Nick Saban who Jimbo Fisher referred to as God issued an apology Nick Saban doesn't apologize it's like the honey badger. He takes what he wants. Man. So so two things that I have discovered from this. I'm going to be at SEC Media Days in July. That just got a lot more interesting. And everybody better pop some popcorn and get ready for October 8th. Because when Alabama and A&M play each other, good Lord Almighty. 
I mean, James, who are you taking out of this fight? Who, man, it's... I was going to initially take Saban because you look at him, he's got that intensity, like that different level of intensity. But the fact that, he's, that he came out to apologize and you saw the response by Jimbo to like go after him like a wild dog that I was like okay you know what if these two were to actually like go at it mm-hmm. on the at the 50 yard line I'm taking Jimbo all day mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm putting 50 you, have I ever told you what uh Nick Saban's breakfast is uh he's oh, what is it it he lo- it's like some breakfast bar or something not even no pop tarts not even close what? again he lo- I thought he loved pop tarts he well, I mean he does he does love pop tarts but that's not his breakfast so he did a sit-down interview, and I don't remember what this was for, but he was having a one-on-one conversation with Eli Manning. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't know that one. Eli said, Coach, you know, I hear you're a man of tradition, a man of routine. Oh, was it Rice Krispie Treats? I heard you eat the same breakfast every day. It's two oatmeal cream pies That's what and it a was. can of Coke. I knew it was some, some like Little Debbie's or two something. Two oatmeal cream pies and a can of Coke. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I don't remember it being Eli, but I do remember that interview. And, can you and, and I was say like, what? Can you say breakfast of champions? It's specifically two oatmeal cream two pies. Two oatmeal every, cream pies every morning. Yep, and a can of Coke. Classic Coke. Wow, what a guy! <laughs> I feel like I feel like okay. So, if I want to get into coaching, I feel like I've got to have. Three Rice Krispie treats with a lemonade. And then for lunch or post practice, I I have the no, I <laughs> I go to uh I go to McDonald's like Chad Ochocinco. And oh. then I go and then I go get my uh, four cheeseburgers. Oh Jesus. How how many cheeseburgers did you have today, James? I've had two of my eight so far. Eight. Eight of them. Yeah. God. Anyways. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see the Houston Astros in person, we'll listen up. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up. It's our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Chicago White Sox on Saturday, June 18th, and you can be there. All you got to do is register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, Lay Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll have audio from Jimbo and Nick on the other side of this timeout. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Told you about our poll question of the day. Who would you take in a fist fight, Jimbo Fisher or Nick Saban? Darren Francis has come in and said, Jimbo all day. This is the whole fight. And he shares a TikTok, and it looks like two teenagers in a PE locker room. And one kid throws like four punches, and 
the other guy just takes him. And then as he's walking out the room, he throws up the L's and says, you loser, I'm out of here. So maybe Nick's the kid that throws punches and Jimbo just walks out calling him a loser. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I would take Jimbo just because, I mean, you, you, you're about to hear some of the things that he said. It was ridiculous. He went super hard. I mean... Top rope, old day, you know, Mick Foley with the elbow off the top rope kind of stuff. But before we get into Jimbo, here's uh, here's Nick Saban's comments that, that started it all. You know who they are. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player. All right, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. All right. We didn't buy one player. All right. You ever notice that? Anytime Nick Saban says something, it ends with, I. I don't listen to uh, Nick Saban commentary. Oh my God. Interviews. Every time he, every time he has like a, a long answer to something, it's da 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 da. I. Da 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 da. I. Like Billy Napier used to do that when, when he was here. He would he would say something, you know, right, you know. Everyone's got their crutch. Like, man. All right, so here we go. There was Nick's comments that fired up Jimbo. I've got four audio clips from Jimbo Fisher, and here's the first one. Hey, they broke state laws. They're, they're, they're all money. They're, we bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. It's ridiculous. But when, when he's not on top and the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. So, like I said, he, he uses the word despicable. I, I touched on that. He uses it a lot. But here's, here's the part of the comment that I want to discuss. He called Nick Saban a narcissist. Like, okay, whether it's, whether it's true or not, the fact that you had the audacity to call another man that you have to coach against every single season a narcissist in public viewing? Wow. Point for Jimbo. All right, here's number two. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. And it's a shame that you got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families in Texas A&M because we do things right. We're always going to do things right. But we're, not, we're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. These coaches have done a great job. Our players have done a great job. The whole organization of recruiting people. It's despicable that we got to sit here at this level of ball and, and – say these things to defend the people of this organization, the kids, 17-year-old kids and their families. It's amazing. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it. And it's despicable. All right, so he said despicable twice there. 
but th- there there was a lo- there's a lot to unpack in that second in that second clip because he he says you know th- this is a guy that we call God. It's true. Nick, Nick Saban's been referred to numerous times as the God of college football. And but you know also if if you look at it. You have to you have to think about it like this, okay? Alabama, Nick Saban can say all he wants that Alabama is running a quote unquote clean program. Nick, just because you're not the one shelling out the cash, doesn't mean that it's clean. Just because you have scapegoats, doesn't make it clean. Is is Jimbo's downfall the fact that most people believe that he's the one handing out the cat? Yeah, probably. But at least Jimbo can admit, or at least Jimbo doesn't he doesn't admit, but at least he doesn't try to say that he's running a clean program. He's playing the game. And he knows that. But he says, go dig up his past and you'll see what he's done and how he does things. Should Alabama be getting investigated? Interesting. All right, here's number three. This. There are no there are no violations. There are nothing wrong. It's the second time we've had to do this with grown men who don't get their way and want to pout, throw a fit, and act up. Just go ask all the people who work for him. You'll know exactly what he's about. I always said this. My dad always told me this. When people show you who they are, believe them. He's showing you who he is. Questions? My dad always said that when people show you who they are, believe them. Wow. I wonder. I wonder what he what his thought process is. I would have loved for for Jimbo to elaborate on what he was meaning when when he said that. Like, who does he think Nick Saban is? It's very intriguing. Game hotline, 337-706-0111. Let's go to the hotline. Frank's calling in. What's going on, Frank? Uh, not a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make it quick because I'm driving through Lafayette. Uh, but there's two things you can take from what you just played on, on air. One, Jimbo Fish is probably telling the truth. And the reason the apology came out so fast is because Nick Saban is saying, ah, boss, shut up. You know too much. Thank you, guys. That's a great point. Jimbo has worked with Nick Saban on many of occasions, most notably LSU in 2003. Jimbo knows what Nick does to get things done. Just like Nick knows what Jimbo does to get things done. All right. Jimbo finishes it up like this. No. Oh, he's called. You just didn't take the call? Not going to. We're done. And uh, He shows you who he is. And then I just wanted to... He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted to... You got all the advantages? Uh-huh. It's easy. And I just wanted to just put it point blank. So no players in your... You're saying that no players in the state of There's no laws of anything we ever promised done, anything that goes against the laws of the state of Texas, and it's insulting to say a 17-year-old and his family broke laws. No. So the the sarcasm and also the fact that he's constantly cutting off the reporter 
because he he sits there and the report. So he says that Saban had tried to call him and he declined it, as most men probably would after they got called out at an event like Nick Saban did. And then he he constantly interrupts the reporter, and the best comment of it all is, he's the greatest ever, huh? God, man! I love college football. I saw somebody post something on Twitter earlier. It said, the best Netflix series I've ever seen is Nick versus Jimbo. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with tickets to a special sneak peek of Top Gun Maverick. That's right. You can see it before anyone else by simply texting Top Gun to 68683-T-O-P-G-U-N to 68683. Score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek May 26th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the Top Gun Sneak Preview brought to you by Big Boy Toys and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll take a time out. Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles will join us next to talk all things black and gold. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. He's going to go. Touchdown, Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Good at Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles' Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Who that Wednesday a day late? Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles is joining us. What's going on, Brendan, man? How are you? I'm doing great. Who that to you, boys? Absolutely, man. So let's let's start with Jarvis. You know, we haven't gotten to talk since mm-hmm. since Jarvis signed. Here's here's my question. How the hell did the Saints get Jarvis Landry for three million dollars? It is pretty insane to me as well. And I thought it was going to be. I think he can get up to six million with the, with the incentives. I thought he was almost going to get double than that somewhere else, uh, just because he's a talented receiver, you know. And obviously, came off an injury uh, this past season, but you know, still can be a wide receiver one on offense. Um, but I don't think that he really got that market, and he did get a one year offer from Cleveland that he turned down. So, from what I was kind of hearing, it was. I think Cleveland kind of viewed him more as a slot receiver, and I think he cherished more of an opportunity to be more than that. I mean, you know, like Michael Thomas's X, Y, and Z, let me play every position. And I think that Pete Carmichael will help him do that. And it really did sound like that he wanted it, – it's crazy to say out loud, but, like, he wanted to play with Jameis. Like, like the media interpretation of Jameis is so much different than the players. Like, Jameis loves – and trust his wide receivers, and I mean that's what a wide receiver wants. They want the ball thrown to them, and James does the best. And now you know Jarvis is talking about recruiting Odell to come back home. Also, I mean, here's, it, it, my, it's my, crazy to me because last year at this not the same time, but uh, in the middle of this, in the middle of the year, we were like begging on our, our knees for Odell. Like, we need you. Like, we don't care if, if you're 50% what you used to be. We need you. And at Odell, I mean, I'm not against it at all. If it's a one-year deal and kind of what Jarvis Landry's deal is, I mean, absolutely, why not? But all of a sudden, you 
are in a spot that I don't think the Saints have been in probably since, I mean, maybe even the Devery Henderson days where they're four or five deep at the position. Um, obviously, this is probably going to be one of the best units the Saints ever have in franchise history, honestly. It's just the talent-wise is insane. And you now have a competition between Marquez Callaway and Troy Quan Smith potentially for that last wide receiver spot because Deontay Hardy's not losing that spot because he's the kick returner, so he's going to be on the roster. So Callaway is fighting for a job. Traquan's going to fight for a job. And just because, I mean, Callaway's younger, I think he has got an upper hand, but you add Odell to that mix, and I think it makes sense. Um, obviously, the Rams make a ton of sense, too, because he, because he is injured, and he won't be back till November, December. So, I mean, the Rams and Saints don't need another wide receiver, but, I mean, you'll take Odell, and I think he'd love to be here, too. And all the interactions that they've had, and, uh, I heard Jarvis on WWL this week too, and he said he's, he's trying to he's trying to do a recruiting pitch to the Saints and Odell. So, I mean, I wouldn't be against it at all. You see, I wouldn't be against it, but my question is, even if he's out till November, when he comes back, where does he fit in? Because you've got Mike, you've got Chris Olave now, you've got Jarvis, like you mentioned, Deontay Hardy, Marquez Calloway, Jarvis, and then like where, where do you put Odell? It, it, it's a lot of mouths to feed, I'll tell you that. But it hasn't been something that, I, I mean, Sean Payne's not there obviously anymore, but uh, the Saints formula is spreading the ball around, and I think it only benefits, you know, the other guys better. I mean, I mean, you, you can go empty with freaking MT, Olave, Jarvis Landry, Kamara. You can put Taysom Hill in there. He'll be a threat. I mean, Odell will be, in and be, be a threat as well. And, and the thing that the Saints have done a lot that um, make a ton of sense, and the Rams kind of did this a lot too last year, is, you know, like in hockey, you have line changes. You have three guys come on, three guys come off. And, I mean, that's been a thing that they've done for a very long time. So uh, you you bring out MT and Olave. Next play, you have Jarvis and Odell. I mean, it's just always switching up, keep, keeping guys fresh. You don't have to play every single snap. And I think giving different players different looks is a good thing. And, I mean, it adds more dimension to the offense. And I don't think – I mean, add as many wide receivers as you want. I mean, after this past year, I'm totally not against adding Odell. And the fan aspect as well, I mean, it'd be through the roof. But I really don't think that it's it's an incredible fit at this time just because mouse to feed. But at the same time, the Rams as well. I mean, the Rams don't really need him right now anyway. So, I mean, we'll just kind of wait and see with that situation. Chatting with Brendan Ertle here on Who Dat Wednesday on a Thursday. Brendan, you know – People are still discussing bringing back Quan Alexander. Do you do you think that's likely? Do you think that's necessary? Where do you stand in the linebacker position? Um, at this point, at necessary, no. Um, I, I think this is kind of like the running back position where you wait to train camp to see what you have. You brought in young guys. You obviously drafted DeMarco Jackson. Uh, you brought in Abram Smith at the running back position. And you want to see what those guys are going to do. Um I've seen that there's a ton of interest from the Jets, and if they offer him a contract, he's going to take it. I mean, there's not a lot out there for him right now. But like last year, the Saints waited till training camp to sign Colin Alexander, or later in the process at least. Um, but you want to see if Pete's going to take that next step, and you want to see your depth at a position. Uh, I could definitely see them bringing him back if he's still there come you know July, August, and the price is what it was last year. Um, adding another LSU Tiger, I'm not even, Again, not against it, but this is a wait-and-see process. I know Saints fans really want him. I want him too, but if you bring him in right now, 
it means something you're not confident with Pete or you don't like the rookie depth that you have at the position. So just wait and see on that. Come training camp. Uh, if something doesn't pan out, I could see them bringing them in. Chat with Brendan Ertle here on Who Dat Wednesday's Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. Brendan, give me your thoughts on the schedule because we haven't gotten to talk about it uh, since mm-hmm. since it came out. You know, by weeks, not till week 14. You've got to go to London, you know, week four, and then come mm-hmm. right back. You know, what what are your thoughts on the schedule as a whole? Look, you've you got to start fast. I mean, that's going to be really, really important. And, and the main thing is, you're, you're competing with your division, and Tampa Bay has, I might, I don't remember the exact four, but I think it's Dallas, Kansas City, us, and uh, there's someone else in there that is very good opponent. Maybe it's the Packers. I don't really know the exact four, but there's four straight games where there's, like, tough, tough games. And I've seen Bucks reporters say, like, it is an absolute win if you come out of that stretch 3-1. So if the Saints can start the season fast and get a early lead on division, that'd be huge. And I think that they're right in there with competition in this division. If they can stay healthy, I mean, that's kind of the main thing. If Jameis is going to be ready, I think he is. I've only heard good things. Um, you got to start fast because the middle of the schedule is just tough, tough, tough. I mean, each and every single week you're being tested from about week 6 to 11. I mean, it is just tough game after tough game. But if you can start the season 3-1 and one and at the back end of the schedule well as well, it's, it's not as tough. If you can start and end, 3-1. I mean, there's six wins right there. So you got to just find a way to win four to five games in that really, really tough stretch, and I think they'd be fine. But, I mean, we've seen this new formula of Saints, just how they play, and this is a road-dominant team. This is a team that likes to run the football. It's a team that plays really good defense. So uh, having those stretches is going to be really hard, but I'm not I'm not going to just, just uh, count what they're going to do. I think – 10-11 wins is a reasonable number right now, at least. Yeah, those four games before the bye week, it's Pittsburgh, L.A., the Niners, and then the Bucks. Mm-hmm. And if you go 2-2 two and two in that stretch, that's great. Yeah, because that back four is pretty winnable. I mean, Atlanta, Cleveland, Philly, Carolina. Mm-hmm. And that's 3-1 that's yeah. at worst. Yeah, so like, we, we said it the other day, 10-11 10, 10 wins – is very doable and and I think should 100% be the goal uh for for this team down the stretch. Talk to me about mini camp. What have you seen uh I, I know you're I know you're covering from a distance, but you know what have you seen out of mini camp and and what can you tell us? I mean, of course, yeah, watching from afar. Uh mini camp is the most overreactive thing about this whole process, but it's fun. It's fun to watch a lot of run routes on absolutely no one. It's fun to watch Trevor Penning uh, block people with no pads on. And that's going to be kind of what we talk about for a few weeks. And it's, it's tough to talk about. Uh, I'm not going to overreact in any kind of any kind of way, but um, you can't say, wow, Olave is completely what we thought he was going to be or he's, he's not looking great. I mean, Diaz said he's like, I mean, you saw what I saw. I mean, he ran routes like he did his pro day. So um, it's really going to come down to training camp. But mini camp's just more of a time to just, you know, get equated with the offense and figure everything out. But it was just cool to see him in Saints gear and running around. And uh, when you when you watch Olave run, I mean that's kind of the main thing. Is all the highlights uh, was Olave because I couldn't physically be there. Um, runs really really good routes, and that's someone that in the Saints office that he's going to get his no matter what. Uh, whether I mean if they add Odell or not, he's going to get it just because the way that he runs his routes and the position that he will run 
in his offense. I mean, I, he, I think with adding Jarvis, it, it improves the stock even more just because he, he's going to get that third, fourth matchup every time. So, I mean, I'm really excited for Olave, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Doug Marone get a hold of Trevor Penning to see if he can, you know, clean up the little things and make him a beast that he's going to be. All right, Brendan, I got one more for you. Uh, you know, Sean Payton going to Fox Sports, Drew Brees, you know, posting some cryptic tweets the other day saying he's undecided of his future. What do you make of all of that? Uh, really interesting stuff, actually. Uh, Sean Payton to Fox Sports. Uh, I don't think Sean Payton really knows that he used Twitter fully yet because he posted he had a Fox Sports header as his Twitter header for about three to four weeks before that deal happened. So I think we all kind of knew if you looked and you saw, but uh, it wasn't official until now. But I'm, I'm excited to see Sean Payton on the on whatever he does with Fox Sports. I think he'll do a good job with that, and I'm excited to see him back in the league next year and get some draft picks for him. Um, but Drew Brees as well, yeah, that was that was something. That's something that I never really bought into in terms of him playing football again. Just because he had surgery, his uh, shoulder surgery, just about a month ago, and he wouldn't be able to be cleared until like October to play football. So maybe if he was 10 years younger, I mean, obviously, yeah, you do it. Um, but from everything I've heard, uh, Keyshawn Johnson today or yesterday on ESPN said that uh, Drew's last year, he knew a couple people in the Saints organization that actually thought Jameis was better at that current point, but they didn't want to disrespect Drew in that situation um, with his last kind of ride with the team. So they re- the road with Breeze, of course, like he would. But uh, there's tons of confidence in Jameis Winston. And obviously you can talk about the contract that he got and obviously how the league – kind of viewed him in terms of a contract and it wasn't a lot it's kind of a year-by-year basis but I think that's more so because of his injury than his play because everything that he showed the Saints last year is what they wanted to see but this year it's going to be all about that step forward can he take that step forward and I mean the team will go as far as Jameis takes him but I don't buy into any of the Breeze anything any of the Breeze rumors I think that he's going to be playing pickleball or uh you know doing something with Fox Sports with Sean Drew Brees, world pickleball champion. I'm going to manifest it now. I'm going to manifest it now. Brendan Ertle, my guy. Uh, Actually, before I let you run, I've got one more for you. And very quickly, Mm -hmm. give me your thoughts on Jimbo Fisher versus Nick Saban. Oh, I mean, I I work in the college football, you know, environment, and it's really fun to see that. And it's fun to see, like, players and students get those, the NIL deals, but yeah, that is a lot of money to be thrown around with those two. And I think, I don't know when exactly they play, but it's, they play again. And it's going to be really, really interesting. And if Nick Saban's threats are true, I mean, I'm a little bit worried being an LSU fan, what he could do with the recruiting. And I think he's being a little modest. Um, but I mean, what Jimbo Fisher said today, which is kind of crazy. And if you haven't seen it, you got to go see it because it, it is more of a rivalry right now. It's, it's getting personal. So. Yep. I mean, all, I'm all about it. The football in the SEC is just different, um, and I'm I'm excited to watch that game. October 8th is going to be a, a night where most Americans are sitting in front of their televisions. Absolutely. It was a good one last year, too. I'm going to tell you that. Brendan, appreciate you taking the time, my friend, as always, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yes, sir. See you guys next week. Tune in next week for another edition of Hoodat Wednesdays here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Let your voice be heard.
Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Let's upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising. It's the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. You can score a pair of VIP passes plus a chance to meet the Cold War kids. Simply register in the Game Rewards Club, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win VIP passes for Downtown Rising on Saturday, June the 4th. The Ultimate Downtown Rising VIP Experience is presented by Social Entertainment Raiders Solutions, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Speaking of Downtown Rising, let's give away some tickets. What team did the Raging Cajun Baseball What team did Raging Cajuns Baseball beat twice to win their first NCAA regional? What team did UL Baseball beat twice to win their first NCAA regional? One one guess per day. One guess per day. If you don't get it right today, you can try again tomorrow. We'll be giving them away all next week as well. So you'll have plenty of chances. Let's go to the hotline right now. Martin joins us. What's going on, Martin? Hey, not too much, buddy. How y'all doing? Man, we're doing great, man. What you got? All right. I want to touch on the poll question, okay? I don't know if y'all had a chance to read my comment. Oh, I was, anyway. I, was, I was getting ready to discuss it. Okay. Um, so, uh, I'm an Alabama fan, okay? But I'm a fair Alabama fan. Both of them, Jimbo Fisher... And Nick Saban both throw fits, okay? And I have to agree, has Alabama paid players to go play? Most probably so, okay? But, you know, I mean, how can I put this? I know LSU fans are mad because Nick Saban left, but he left for more money. Yes, he failed at Miami. We all fail at something in our life at one point or another, okay? So that was another chance LSU had to go get him. Did they get try? No. So any true diehard LSU fans, and I know plenty of them, they're going to admit Nick Saban is the greatest college football fan, I mean greatest college football coach of all time, period. So that's all I, I mean. I really wanted to say, you know, but like I said, yes, they both throw fits and everything. It'd be good to see him, you know, duke it out or whatever. And another thing, all they did, all Jimbo Fisher did was add fuel to the fire because this year they come to Brian Denny Stadium. And it's going to be nothing pretty. I say they beat, I say. Alabama beats them by at least two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a real good Alabama team that's coming back, that's coming this year. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%, Martin. And it's going to be out of two teams. Again, that's going to be Alabama or it's going to be Georgia because both teams are going to be very, very, very good this year. But that's all I got to say, and uh, go Avalanche. Thank you. Hey, Martin, appreciate you, man. Who, me? 
No, Martin, you good, yeah. man. We appreciate you. Okay, thank you. So Mar- Martin said a lot there, but I-, I-, I get what he's trying to say. Obviously, both Saban and Fisher whine and complain and whatever. But at the end of the day, if you look at the numbers and you look at what they've been able to do, their bodies of work, Saban's the best college football coach of all time. Hands down, nobody's going to argue that. Anybody that does argue that is just wasting their time. I mean, the man's won seven national titles in his career. It's like saying Tom Brady isn't the greatest quarterback of all time, as much as that pains me to say. The man's won seven Super Bowls. Like, how do you how do you argue with that? You can't. You absolutely can't. In our number two, Cokie Riley of the Daily Advertiser is going to join us to talk LSU before their series with Vanderbilt. We'll also talk some LSU basketball, and we'll get his thoughts on Jimbo and Nick, and so much more. Hotline open as always, 706-0111. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our number two of two. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. As a reminder, downtown downtown rising trivia question of the day. What team did the Raging Cajuns baseball team beat twice to win their first NCAA regional? First person to call the hotline at 706-0111 with the correct answer gets two free tickets to downtown rising on Saturday, June 4th. While we wait for that, Cokie Riley of the Daily Advertiser joins us. Good afternoon, Cokie. How are you, my friend? Doing great, Matt. What's up, man? Man, I'm doing good, man. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be talking to you about some LSU baseball before the last weekend of the regular season. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it should be. It's a very big series for them, but um, uh, well, you know, let's just get into it. <laughs> yeah. So, like like you touched on, it, it's a big series for them. Vanderbilt, you know, they're they're a baseball powerhouse. They're not quite having the year this year that they've had in recent years. Just kind of paint the picture uh, of this weekend and how much it means to LSU's postseason opportunities. Yeah, this is a very um, this is a very interesting series in that. Yeah, in in some respects, Vanderbilt hasn't had quite the season that you would have imagined heading into this year, or quite the season they've had in years past. I mean, this is the team that made the national championship game last season. So, um, national championship series, I should say. But anyway, uh, they're still third in the RPI, and, and and that has a lot to do with some of the, the really tough schedule they've had this season. Um, so, I, I do think this is a really good, really talented Vanderbilt team. Their offense has been a little bit up and down, which is kind of why you see the, which kind of why their record hasn't been as great. But they're playing really good baseball right now. Um, they've won. They won two out of three against Arkansas this past weekend. Uh, they have a 3.39 team ERA. Their starting rotation is excellent. It's going to be a huge challenge for LSU. Um, and 
the series would have been big heading into this week if even if they had beaten Ole Miss this past weekend in, the, in that series. But after getting swept by Ole Miss, this becomes like a, a must-win series for LSU if they want to have any sort of hopes of hosting a regional, which I think I, I think it's fair to say that those hopes are pretty much dashed. But if they somehow swept this series, then maybe things could change uh, on that front. Um, and if Ole Miss keeps on winning too. But it, either way, it's a, it's a giant series for LSU and uh, even if even if they don't end up hosting a regional, their their chances of um, landing in a more favorable spot in the in the SEC tournament uh, would be affected by this series either way. So it's a huge series for LSU. You know, looking at Vanderbilt statistics offensively, they have six guys that are key regular key contributors hitting two fifty plus, including three guys over three hundred. Keegan Dominic at 384. How do they use that off that offense to to really control the tempo of a lot of games that they play? Yeah, I mean Keegan is is has been excellent this year. Um, he's been one of the best hitters in the SEC, hitting 384 with 12 home runs. Uh, Spencer Jones 366 with 459 on base percentage. Uh, 366 batting average, I should say. And then Enrique Bradfield's been really good in SEC play, 342 batting average um, against SEC competition. Uh, and if you're LSU, it's Vanderbilt doesn't have the deepest lineup, but they get on base, and when when they're rolling, they're they're tough to beat. Um, uh, it, it, we do talk about this offense, but I, but I also think I think the key of the series is really Vanderbilt's pitching against LSU's offense because LSU. Is an offense first team. I, I think we all know that. Um, and this Vanderbilt team is a pitch is a starting pitching strong team. Like that's the strength of their team. They're starters. And uh, Devin Futrell and Carter Holton, uh, they're two left-handed starters. Uh, Futrell is a 2.52 ERA this season. Holton has a 3.42 ERA. Uh, and the fact that they're both on the left side could give LSU some trouble. LSU some trouble because LSU has had some trouble against left-handed. Pitching this season, I mean, two thirty-one, three sixty-five, four hundred six splits against lefties this year. That's surprisingly weak um, compared to against righties. They're three hundred eight, four thirteen, five fifty-four. So I go into the series seeing if LSU can a obviously hold down um, Vanderbilt's bats. Uh, Vanderbilt has a has a has a has a strong lineup, at least on paper, um, even even though they've been a bit up and down, like I said. And two, you know, can LSU produce good offense against this team that um, has really strong left-handed starting pitching? Yeah, you know, you, you touched on that left-handed starting pitching. It, it's going to be interesting to see how LSU battles that because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but they've kind of struggled against lefties this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the splits don't lie. They're still getting on base at a 365 clip, but 231 batting average isn't great. And a four, but even more concerning is a 406 team slugging percentage against lefties. That's that's really poor. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, they have to be able to buck that trend if they have any, to have any hope of winning this series. Because not only does Vanderbilt have really good starting pitching, they also have the bullpen to finish off games if if Mandy takes the lead. So. I I think Vanderbilt has the advantage on 
on, on, prob- on both sides of the baseball, to be honest. And the, of course, they have the advantage, the advantage defensively because LSU has the worst defense in, in the SEC by uh, quite, a, quite a good margin. So I, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's hard to be terribly optimistic heading into the series if you're an LSU fan, especially after what happened this past weekend against Ole Miss. Yeah, no question about it. Koki Riley from the Daily Advertiser joining us. Koki, what was the message from Jay Johnson this week? I mean, obviously after getting swept by Ole Miss, you respond with a with a seven inning run rule of Northwestern State, but that's kind of expected. So, you know, now post that game or or just in general this week, what was the message from Jay Johnson? Well, I mean I think Jay Johnson his focus um moving forward, really, and heading into this Vanderbilt series. And after the Ole Miss series, he sort of talked about this a lot, sort of this idea of how they just they just cratered in a way that really disappointed him. They, and, and, I say, and I say that in the sense that he was just it, – it, it, you could just sort of feel the disappointment in his voice and that his team basically – I don't think they gave up, but – they they collapsed in a way that we just haven't seen them collapse this season. I mean, an eleven to one loss in that sat in that second game on the second Saturday game against Ole Miss, they just hadn't seen that this season, and it was more of a pride issue and an and an effort issue. Um, sort of things he hasn't really had to say this season because even if they even when they've lost, they've been pretty much in every almost every single game this season. Um, but the 11 to one shellacking against an Ole Miss team that was behind them in the standings and kind of on the outside looking in when it came to the tournament field, that was alarming for for Johnson. And uh, and, and I think this, in terms of that, you know, the effort, that intensity, trying to get getting that back up, is that's the thing that he wants to see more than anything um, before they can start, you know, winning games. You know, winning games is almost secondary to them at this point. I know that sounds kind of silly, but. I mean, that's how low they were at points in that Ole Miss series, even though they did look a little bit better in the Sunday game uh, despite losing 8-5. to five. All right, Kogi, let's transition to basketball now. Matt McMahon has, has finished his 13-man. He, he's used all 13 scholarships. Talk to me about this roster. Talk to me about what works and what doesn't and, and who you could see stepping up. Yeah, I actually just did a piece for the Daily Advertiser, um, sort of breaking down who I think could be the starters, who could be the sixth man, uh, the, the rotation, and I'm kind of open. I uh, have it up right now just to uh, give you a nice little helpful reminder. So, I it it's it's tough to figure out exactly who the starters will be because we're not quite sure what's going through McMahon's head. We've never seen him actually coach these players before. We've never seen him actually coach most of these players in general before. Um, so I, I just feel like I think Justice Hill gets the start at point guard. Um, that's my instinct right now. You know, I, I also think it could easily be Ken Hayes, but I think Hill and the familiar the familiarity those two have uh, just with being together at Murray State, and um, I think Hill's ability to sort of set the table and hit threes should, are, are you know two things that are really valuable. Even though defensively he probably won't give them too too much given his lack of size. I think Adam Miller, despite not playing at all last season, I think he'll start coming off the torn ACL. And, and I just feel like his explosiveness and creativity off the dribble is something that that, lineup, that starting lineup sort of needs. So I kind of lean towards him. And, and, I mean, just the fact that he started as a freshman in Illinois, to me, that's enough, for, that's enough for me to think he should start on this LSU team. 
Um, I, I, I slotted in Milwaukee Wilkinson as one of the other starters at forward. And I was a little hesitant about that because of his lack of, th- of three-point shooting outside of the corners. And even though even then his three-point shooting in the corner was in the corners was um, it was a little it was a little uh, shaky to say the least. Uh, but I just think the fact that he was a starter on last year's team and that will be valued early on at the very least. So that's why I kind of slotted him in at that one forward spot. And then I kind of went with a wild card on the other forward spot, Tyrell Ward. Uh, the highly recruited forward, uh, the number 33 prospect in the nation, according to, to Tor Sports Composite. And I, I, I just feel like he fits it. I, I just feel like his ceiling is, will be enough for him to be a starter uh, compared to some of the other options like a Derek Fountain or Jalen Reed. Um, then at center, I had KJ Williams, who I, I guess could also play power forward as well, given that he's 6'10 and 250. But, and, but I, I just feel like his ability to space the floor and play a little bit more like a modern big um, sort of allows him to uh, kind of – and I, he was just so productive at, at Murray State under McMahon that I just feel like it would be tough to not see him start. Him and – I honestly think him and probably Miller are the two most – are the two players I'm most confident in seeing them, I guess, start on this team. And then, you know, lastly, talking about Matt McMahon and the things that he's been able to do with this roster, what are your thoughts on Sean Phillips? Um, yeah, Phillips, he's the last man the last man of the puzzle, right? Um, we're talking about a seven footer with plenty of size, plenty of length, four star recruit, number one hundred eleven prospect uh nationally, and he kind of brings a similar skill set to a guy like Cornelius Williams, who was the other center that they picked up. And someone like Kendall Coleman, these bigger guys, these lob threats, these more of these pick and roll uh, downhill centers, um, maybe not the greatest defenders in space, but they rebound. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they they clean up messes in the dunker spot. I, I, I just feel like Phillips is another addition um, to that center room, and uh, where where KJ Williams is kind of the change up compared to those guys because Williams is a little smaller but is a lot more skilled, especially with his three point shooting. Um, I, I think Phillips, uh, Coleman, and Williams, Cornelius Williams, I should say, uh, they all kind of bring this bring that type of skill set, and I think that's something that might be that might be the sort a sort a type of player, you know, that rim rim running really long, uh, big that. Um, uh, that uh, that Matt McMahon likes. So it, maybe maybe it's a trend, maybe it isn't, but it's just something that I've noticed. All right, Koki, one more for you. Give me your thoughts on Jimbo versus Nick Saban. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, you know, what What are your guys' thoughts on this? Uh, I, For me, it's, I, I kind of, I, I, I'm kind of like the meme with the guy in the popcorn and just enjoying what I'm watching, but what, what do you guys think? I mean, I, th- I think... Saban had a point, but you know my my issue with it all is is calling guys out directly, like directly calling out a And M. To to me that that would got a little too personal, and which is why Jimbo reacted the way that he did. But again, you know more times than not, I'm with you. I just want to pop some popcorn and watch it all go down. <laughs> yeah, two former LSU coaches going at it. It's it's a wild world we live in. 
Um, uh, I yeah, I, I just feel like obviously Saban shouldn't have called out Jimbo or Deion Sanders like that. That was absolutely wild, unexpected, entertaining, um, not very smart, and he he just acknowledged that what like about an hour and a half ago, um, and I. I, I just feel like it's it, it, it certainly made my day in terms of from an entertainment standpoint. Um, did any of the stuff Jimbo say in retaliation not only make, make any sense or um, is any of it true? Heck, I don't know. <laughs> that's not. I, I don't feel like that's totally the point of the day. Uh, but I, I guess I. But it, from an NIL perspective, though, it, it is interesting to see like. How is this going to shake up um, not just the discourse around NIL, but any potential legislation moving forward when it got this public and this ugly in a way? And, and you know, the SEC has already uh, released a statement sort of talking about and reprimanding both uh, Jimbo and, and Saban about it. And I think Sankey even mentioned that they want to talk about it during the SEC coaches meetings in Destin. So I, I, I'm curious to see what the what the what the what like the actual fallback and you know like the like the actual what's actually going to happen after you know a crazy crazy event like this. Yeah, it, it's it's unprecedented, and you know you brought up the SEC coaches meetings later this month in Destin, SEC media days in July in Atlanta. That's yeah. going to be so much fun. Yeah, I I, I think. Saban and um, Jimbo are like two. There's like a, there's a day in between their SEC days, unfortunately, for media days. But the coaches in Destin, I mean, that's you know, that's all gloves off. Right, right. <laughs> right yeah, there. that's going to be great. Um, but I mean, it, I will. It's what what happened today. I, I think we have to acknowledge that was one of the most unbelievable things we've ever seen in sports from a media fight fight perspective. Like that's something that happens in soccer. Where, like, you know, like the former, it's like someone like uh, Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho would just start um, accusing the other other coaches of of mal- of of of, uh, of of wrongdoing like that. Like you only see that stuff in European soccer. Which that's how wild it got today. And I, I've honestly never seen anything like this from a media perspective. Um, uh, from two coaches just directly going at each other like this, or right. like three coaches going all directly at each other like that. So um, it's it's absolutely wild. Yeah, definitely wasn't on the the Pep versus Mourinho stage, but uh, definitely definitely <laughs> we close. Got close. Definitely we close. We got close. We had a so the so basically, if you think about it though, what happened was the number the, the coach with the number one recruiting class in the country. Said said that the coach with, that the coach with the number two recruiting class in the country should be slapped. That's what happened today. Like <laughs> I, that shouldn't be <laughs> that shouldn't be undersold. By I, I think at least no, not not at all. Koki Riley of the Daily Advertiser joining us. Koki, appreciate your time as always. Appreciate everything you do. Uh, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome, May 26th to June 5th. Text CHSF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair. Once again, 68683, text CHSF.
to win a family four-pack of ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair, May 26th to June 5th. Second time out when we return Cajun's softball and baseball. Big weekends for both. Good softball in the Clemson Regional. Baseball wrapping up the regular season at home. You're listening to The Game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 19, 1909. In his first title defense, Jack Johnson fights Jack O'Brien to a no decision in six rounds in Philadelphia to retain his world heavyweight crown. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 25 minutes after 5 o'clock. What team did the Raging Cajuns baseball team beat twice to win their first NCAA regional? I've still got two tickets to give away to Downtown Rising, and they they burning. They're burning a hand, they're burning my hand right now as I'm just ready to give them away. First person to call 706-0111 with the correct answer wins the tickets to Downtown Rising. Cold War Kids, Andy Frasco, Julian Primo, Clay Carmier, The Debtors. It's going to be a great show, great music, great food. Park International. I mean, I I can't sell it enough. It's going to be a great time. We're going to be there. 706-0111, first person to correctly answer that question. We'll receive two tickets to Downtown Rising. The question, again, what team did the Raging Cajuns baseball team beat twice to win their first NCAA regional? Speaking of NCAA regionals, Cajuns softball preparing for one starting tomorrow in Clemson, South Carolina, as they are the three seed in the Clemson regional with Clemson, Auburn, and UNC Wilmington. Now, interesting scenario for the Cajuns, Jerry Glasgow is out with COVID. And it it's a tricky situation because if you look at it right now, it's still undecided and undetermined if Coach Glasgow is going to be able to join the program in Clemson. So that could mean interim head coaches Justin Robichaud and Lacey, Lacey Prejean are leading the team in the regional this weekend. How does that affect things? Here is Coach show on the roles for Coach Glasgow's situation. The the idea behind it is, I'll, yeah, on the pitching side, it's it's you know we've for the most part I've been with them you know since the fall. On the offensive side, it gets kind of tricky, and Coach Coach has his his uh, philosophy on preparation and getting ready. The preparation doesn't change. It really wouldn't matter who we're playing, rolling up to either the conference tournament or the regional. To, to answer your question on that, but the the communication is going to be, you know, interesting. But this is probably one of the most mentally resilient teams that I've ever been around. I think that's their secret sauce moving forward. And this is just this is just another day for them. To be quite honest with you, you know, we, uh, Lacey does a really good job of communicating with coach as well as myself and you know our 
the idea is to not miss a beat, to continue to move forward. And that's exactly what they plan to do. Not miss a beat, keep moving forward. You know, the motto for this team the entire year has been to find a way. And that's what they're going to do. Uh, they, they found a way to overcome the youth and inexperience that they've battled all season to get themselves to this position. Their 23rd consecutive regional as a program, 30th in the program's history. They've won their third consecutive Sunbelt Conference championship. You know, this team time and time again beats the odds, proves people wrong, and sets themselves up for success. You've got multiple freshmen making impact contributions to this team, and that just sets you up for years to come because, like I said, they're only freshmen. Next year, you're going to have four or five players as sophomores that already have a full year of experience under their belt, which is huge for this team. And, you know, again, Coach Robichaud talked about how the Sunbelt Conference Tournament could influence them in the regional because it's such a similar layout, a similar ideology in terms of how to prepare for games, how to practice for games, the mental aspect of it all. And so here's Coach Robichaux on what did you learn from last week that you can take into this week? Well, one of the biggest pieces is you can't take a pitch off, specifically moving into postseason play. game of softball can turn on a dime on you. When it comes to momentum, momentum is everything. And momentum can change pitch to pitch, at bat to at bat. And I thought for, for the most part, we did a really good job of, of gaining the momentum and then keeping the momentum, especially in the, in the championship game. You know, we got off to a rough start against Texas State, and then Kendra came on the back end, got the big double play, and that's when the momentum changed. And that was kind of the turning point in the game. Could have went left, could have went right, and Kendra did what she was supposed to do right there, and then the offense kind of took over from there. So it's, it's going to come down to, you know, who's going to get the critical hit at the critical time. And we're going to have to lock in for seven innings because um, it's going to be a fight. Transitioning to the other side, Cajuns baseball, last weekend of the regular season, this weekend they'll be at home against Arkansas Little Rock. The first game, first pitch is in about 30 minutes from the Teague. They'll play at 6 tonight, 6 tomorrow, and then 4 o'clock on Saturday, Coach Deggs was asked, you know, if what have they learned from, you know, Arkansas Little Rock and how can they challenge themselves to be a better team against Arkansas Little Rock? No, they're tough. They're tough. They're going to run one of the better starters in the league out here Friday night. And, uh, you know, they've got some older kids, too. No, they're a tough team. I saw that last year up there. I mean, they're tough. The The big righty, you know, he gave Texas State all they wanted. I think it was two or three weekends ago. You know, it, it, it's something it, – it's interesting that you've got to look at it like this because you've got to find a way to, like I said, set yourself up for – the postseason set yourself up for the Sun Belt Conference tournament because now that you got swept by Texas State, you're gonna have to win the Sun Belt Championship. 
in order to find the postseason. There's just there's no sugarcoating that now. You have to win the conference championship if you want to stay alive in the postseason. So Louisiana is going to have to figure out a way to really solidify themselves in the conference race. In order to do that in the conference tournament, you're going to have to find a fourth starting pitcher. You know, you've got Brandon Talley, you've got Jeff Wilson, you've got Jacob Schultz. Who's going to be that fourth guy? Here's Matt Deggs on finding that fourth starting pitcher. I don't know whether it's going to be any one person as much as a collective effort. And that's kind of where my thinking is right now, is a collective effort that if we were fortunate enough to get to a scenario like that, having guys, because it's a balance, right? You have to you have to win a couple of games to get to the fourth game, right? So you got to go all in on those, and unless you just bang your way through it. So that being said, I think it would be more of a collective effort of using multiple guys and then being able to reuse multiple guys. I'll go back to softball for one more clip. You know, Justin Robichaux was asked what his early thoughts are on the two toughest challenges in this regional in Clemson and Auburn. Clemson, we're really not looking them right now. Heavy Auburn. We're going to go in there with the preparation that we've we've done throughout the throughout the lifespan of the season. I know they can pitch it really well. They got their their number one establishes up in the zone with some hard stuff. I think she's 70, 71 miles an hour pitching up in the zone. Offensively, they got some girls that slug. They're heavy, right-handed in the order. I think they got two lefties that, that are the mainstay. And then on the Clemson side of things, I know they like to create chaos. A very fast team. They're very dynamic on the base pass. They kind of resemble us to a degree. But when it comes to Auburn, I mean, you can never take anybody lightly that plays in SEC. And then Clemson, somebody in ACC. So I think both those contests are going to come down to a tight game, so to speak. The LSU Tigers will begin their final weekend series of the regular season with a three-game series at Vanderbilt. First pitch is set for seven, and you can listen to all the exciting action right here on the game. The Houston Astros, meanwhile, return home to take on the Texas Rangers. First pitch scheduled for 7-10, and you can listen to that on our sister station, Newstalk. 98.5. We'll take a time out when we return here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Talk some more NBA playoffs, PGA Golf, the PGA Championship at Southern Hills, and we'll get you caught up on the NHL as well. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Met Miguez, James Mesh, the Houston Astros falling to the Boston Red Sox last night, 5-1. to one. It was an entertaining game, although the Astros were on the losing side of things. Jose Altuve led off the game with a 10-pitch at bat, which resulted in a home run. 
And it was the Astros' only run of the game because after that, Nick Pavetta settled down with a two-hit performance that was absolutely just incredible. Xander Bogart's also hitting a solo home run and Rafael Devers adding an RBI double. It was the first complete game by a Red Sox pitcher since 2019 when Chris Sale did it at Kansas City. It was the first time that a complete game was had at Fenway Park since Rick Purcello against the Yankees in 2018. The series for the season now, 2-1 to one in favor of the Boston Red Sox. They will play another three-game series in August to determine who's going to win the season series. But tonight, the Astros return home, and they will take on the good old Texas Rangers. 7-10 first pitch, and like I said earlier, you can listen to it on News Talk 98.5. The Astros are going to start Framber Valdez, the franchise, 2-2 two two on the year, 2.93 ERA, 40 innings, 34 hits, 32 strikeouts. He's walked 17. And then for the Rangers, it's going to be Glenn Otto, who's 1-1 one one on the year with a 6.38 ERA in 18 and a third innings pitched, 16 hits, 16 Ks. He's walked 10, and he's had four home runs hit against him. James, if you're an Astros fan, are you worried about the loss last night at the hands of the Red Sox? Not really. I mean, it's still really early on in the season. Yeah, I mean, not like, it does suck to lose to to someone like the Red Sox, but like if you, if, you, if it 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 only matters down the stretch in my eyes. And then you know, like you said before, they play a million. They they play a million games. We, we still got 120 games. Yeah. Taking a look at the PGA Championship in Augusta Hills, I mean in Southern Hills, excuse me. Got the Masters on my mind for some reason. Rory McIlroy. It kind of looks like vintage Rory is back. Five under on the day. He shot a 65. And he kind of looked, he, he really and truly looked like the top of the pack. Like nobody really had a performance just as good as him. I mean, Will Zalatoris and Tom Hodge are tied. For second, but again, nobody put on a show like Roy McIlroy did today. Let's go to the hotline. Mr. Jamie's calling in. What's going on, Jamie? Hey, good afternoon, Mr. Miguez. How you doing? Doing well, man. How are you? Man, I'm burnt like a dang crawfish. It has been a hot day. We had a, a field day out of my school, so uh, yeah, I wasn't smart enough to wear sunscreen. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, man. I wanted to. I wanted to bring up the NHL. It's it's a good time to be an NHL fan. You got the Battle of Florida, two big rivals in one round, and you got the uh, Alberta rivalry up there uh, between Calgary and Edmonton uh, on that side of things. And then you got four randos. But I mean, it, it's amazing to me that you have these big rivalries and they're having to play in these uh, these playoffs. I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, it it's weird when it lines up that way, right? You know, you've got in, in the first round you had the Rangers and the Penguins. Now you've got the Flames and the Oilers. And you know, even looking to to the other side, some of the matchups tonight, you know, you brought up the Lightning and the Panthers. 
it, it, it's interesting seeing these big rivalries playing in the playoffs because you don't usually get to see that, right? And yeah. since it's a rivalry game, there's already so much riding on it. But now that it's in the playoffs, it's just that much more. And so uh, I, I've loved it as a hockey fan. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. And what will get me is, you know, at the end of the series, whoever wins, whoever loses, they're going to skate across mid-ice. They're going to congratulate one another and go on. It's not like football where they're going to go storm off the field and be little crybabies. No offense to football players, but it's just a little bit of a different mentality, you know? Yeah, for so, sure. Uh, anyway. But, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, those rivalries. And, uh, yeah, go Bolts. Appreciate you, Jamie. His Tampa Bay Lightning playing tonight against the Carolina Panthers. Game two, Tampa's leading the series one to nothing. But, you know, looking last night, you had Carolina take down the Rangers two to one in overtime. The The Rangers started with an early goal, and then it was scoreless through the second and most of the third. Carolina tied it up late and then won it in overtime. But then your other matchup, Edmonton and Calgary. Let, let's walk through this. At the end of the first period, it was 3-1 to one Calgary. After two periods, it was 6-5 to five Calgary. Edmonton ties it up at 6, and then Calgary scores three more to win it 9-6. to six. They scored three goals in each period. 15 goals combined between the two teams in an NHL playoff game. I'll tell you, I've been an NHL fan for a very long time, and I have not seen a game like this in the playoffs in a very, very long time. If you go back to the PGA Championship, again, Roy McIlroy going five under on the day. Tiger Woods started off looking really hot and then kind of fell back to planet Earth. Uh, seven bogeys on the day for Tiger. He finished four uh, four over, and so he will look to bounce back tomorrow. I'm not sure what the cut's going to be, but hopefully Tiger makes it because it's really hard to have a good golf tournament without the GOAT, right? You know, even even if Tiger's not playing well, you saw the Masters, he made the cut, and everybody was still paying attention to him even though he was nine over. People still wanted to see Tiger. People were paying their money to see Tiger. So, again, hopefully he can he can find his way into the cut and play all weekend long. Today is the day that you're going to join the game clubhouse. Not only is it free, but you will get the chance to enter to win tremendous gifts like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's. You can only score that $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or $150 to Mr. Lester's by becoming a member of the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's super simple. So go sign up today. Let's take one more time out, and when we return, we'll recap today's show and get you set up for tomorrow on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans, Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. 
Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Quick recap of today's show. You know, we talked how the Golden State Warriors took down the Dallas Mavericks last night, 112 to 87, behind 21 from Curry. You had 19 from Wiggins, 15 from Clay Thompson, 19 from Jordan Poole off the bench as well. The Dubs shooting 34.5 from three, 56% from the field as a whole. Meanwhile, Dallas, 36% from the field, 23%. From three, Luca only getting 20.7 rebounds, four assists, with a plus-minus rating of minus 30. He was one of one of four Mavs players last night to have a plus-minus of minus 20 or worse. Not a good look. You also had the PGA Championship again. Rory McIlroy looking like vintage Rory today. He's in the lead through day one at five under. The Houston Astros will play tonight at 7-10 against the Texas Rangers. You can hear that on News Talk 98.5, first pitch at 7-10. And then LSU will ho- will go to, is in Nashville to play Vanderbilt. That game, first pitch, is at 7 as well. And you can hear that one right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. Let's go back to our poll question of the day. Who would you take in a fist fight? So far, 53% of you say Nick Saban, and 47% say Jimbo Fisher. I don't agree. Jimbo's younger. Jimbo's got more of an attitude. Give me Jimbo all day long. James, who you taking? I'm taking Jimbo all the way. I mean... Uh, and I think doesn't Jimbo have like a size advantage as well? I'm um, sure, because Nick Saban's not a tall guy. No. Yeah, I'm I'm sure Jimbo's got a size advantage. Um. Nick Saban's five six. No way. Saban's that short. And I don't. Then, there's no way. And then Fisher's five ten. God, they're both short. Well, I say that I'm five eleven, but I mean five six. I didn't realize Nick was that short. Uh, oh, I knew. I was like, Nick's Nick's never been all that. He's never been a tall Didn't guy. Didn't Nick play quarterback back in the day? In what middle school? I swore <laughs> Nick Saban played quarterback in in high school. I mean, in uh, in college. I don't. I, Maybe I'm wrong. I, I've always known him as a coach. Oh, I, he was a DB. That's what he was. He was a DB. He was a short DB. Yeah, he played at Kent State from 1970 to 1972. God, we that old? That's brutal. Again tonight, James, your Celtics. Give me, give me your final thoughts. You got Marcus back. You got Al back. I think the series gets tied tonight. I, I think that I think they got. I think they need that slap in the face. They'd be like, "All right, all right." So so we're not we're not messing around. 
All right, cool. That's let's fair. not, and also, let's not bite on 20 pump fakes. <laughs> also in the NHL, like I said, 6 o'clock on TNT, Tampa and Florida. Tampa with the one nothing advantage. And at 8.30 on TNT, St. Louis and Colorado. Colorado with the one nothing edge. A couple of finals from Major League Baseball to go over quickly. The Baltimore Orioles taking down the Yankees 9-6. to The Padres taking down the Phillies 2-0. The Mets overcoming the Cardinals 7-6-10. and You've got the Reds beating the Guardians 4-2. And the White Sox took down the Royals today 7-4. to James, before we run, give me your predictions for LSU and Cajuns baseball tonight. I say Cajuns take game one. LSU loses game one. Interesting. I've got them both winning tonight. I've got them both winning tonight. I think I think UL is going to win pretty handedly, and then uh, LSU is going to find just enough offense to uh, to get it done. Won't be surprised if they found about four errors. <laughs> they always get at least two. Damn. They always get at least two. Damn. That's going to do it for your Thursday edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. I want to take this opportunity to thank Brendan Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles for joining us as he does each and every week. And Cokie Riley from the Daily Advertiser for talking LSU baseball, basketball, and so much more. Come back tomorrow for the Friday Fun Show. Here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez saying be safe, be well, hug your mom and them, and we'll see you tomorrow on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. (laughs) 